So, good morning. Welcome to Awaken. It's 2019. I know it's not like the first week after getting back, but we weren't really paying attention the first week getting back anyway. We were just kind of recovering. So, welcome to 2019. We made it, folks. We survived 2018. We survived Prince Harry, Meghan Markle, and the royal wedding. We survived the Brett Kavanaugh confirmation hearings. We survived midterm elections, school shootings, Hurricanes Michael and Florence and, and all the other stuff that happened in the world. Even more importantly and specifically to us, we survived all the personal things that challenged our lives but built faith and built character. And we had good stuff happen as well, a lot of good stuff. Even in our church, we had a chance to celebrate engagements, the quinceanera, uh, new babies, and even our 10-year anniversary as a church. So 2018 was good, but now 2019 is here and we're all a year older. I mean, I know technically not yet, but it's coming. And uh, so we're entering into diving in a 2019 that's going to be filled with opportunities as well as some as yet unforeseen challenges and trials. And that's going to be true of not only our lives, but it's going to be true of our church as well. So in particular, before we dive into what I want to teach on and share with you all this morning, I want to talk about an opportunity and I want to talk about a challenge that our church is going to be embarking upon in the next couple of years. And we've titled it Church Plant 2020. Uh, church Plant 2020 is an initiative that your pastors and key leaders have been praying about and praying through over the course of the past year, actually more than the past year now. And basically the idea is that as a church, we're believing that we're going to multiply our church by sending out a team to launch a new congregation in the city of Jacksonville, hopefully by the fall of 2020. And we shared this vision at our year 10 anniversary last September. And yes, we do have some idea of how crazy this sounds. A new church planted by us in the next year. That sounds insane. I mean, we're not a megachurch. We don't have millions of dollars. We don't even have thousands of dollars to spare. You know, that just seems kind of nuts. And our church is only 10 years old. It was like five or six years ago, we were still calling ourselves a church plant. We don't have a bunch of seminary graduates who are like church planting trained and part of our church and ready to go out. We're just normal, everyday people, college students, uh, singles and couples and families uh, who are just doing our best to live our lives in a way that honors Christ. So what makes us think that we should be involved in church planting in any way, shape, or form? That's crazy. There's nothing that should be on the radar that says our church should be involved in that type of faith endeavor, except we believe the Bible and we believe the scriptures, don't we? And the Bible tells us that the primary way by which God spread into the known word, his word, his truth, his message, the message of the gospel, was by launching new churches and through launching new congregations. Even today, statistically, the most effective way of reaching people by far, nothing else is even close, is the launching of new churches and the launching of new congregations. In other words, 
Starting new churches is the most effective form of outreach and evangelism out there. So as much as we might love men like, you know, Billy Graham, who actually has passed, and Tom Short, right? It's not the evangelists of the world that are going to actually reach the world. Instead, it's going to be bold women and bold men of faith who are willing to courageously go and start new congregations and new people groups to reach the unchurched and to reach the disconnected. And that certainly includes us. Today, less than 18% of Americans are a regular part of church, in case you didn't know that and thought that everyone was. There are 156 million unchurched in the United States alone, which means if you were to take just the unchurched in America and they were to form a country, it'd be the eighth largest country in the world. There are tremendous needs in the world, and I don't want to mistakenly say that there's not other needs going on. There are legitimately places in the world and people in the world who have never had any exposure or any contact with the God of the scriptures and the story of Jesus Christ. And maybe God's going to call some of us to go there to reach them. But that's a maybe that we have a certainty that we need to operate off of as a church. And that certainty is that God has already called us to reach where we are, to reach the place where we live, to reach our Jerusalem and then Judea and Samaria, and then the uttermost parts of the world. And as a church, we are committed to not shy away from that responsibility. You know, in the book of Matthew, there's this passage that Jesus shares with his disciples. And it's a really neat passage. It's one that you, many of us has probably read through or heard of before. But it's a passage where Jesus is looking out and seeing people who are confused and lost as to who Jesus was and what Jesus was all about. And I want to just take a moment and read to you what Jesus, in after that observation, what he chooses to say to his disciples, because I think that's still going to be relevant to us today. And here's what he says, Matthew chapter 9. It says, when he saw the crowds, this is Jesus, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And based on that observation, this is what Jesus says to his disciples. The harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord, who's in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his field. Jesus saw the need. He was willing to open his eyes and see the need. And then his charge to his disciples is there's a great harvest and not enough workers. Pray that God would send out workers into that harvest. For those of you who haven't heard our story, um, Vashi Nemechek and I, we've, uh, we graduated, we knew each other from the University of Florida and have now led two church plants together. Uh, the first was right after graduating college at the University of Florida. We were inspired by our pastor at the time, Matt Gordon, and he challenged us, charged us, that instead of graduating and going somewhere where you can find the best job, I want to challenge you to go together someplace and start a campus church. And we thought he was crazy because we had no seminary training, no training at all, really, uh, no equipping. We didn't know anything except that we're graduating college, and we didn't know where we were going to go. And so... We took the leap of faith, and we did so. And then we 
you know, we moved and started the campus church at UNF in 1997. And of course, we didn't do this alone. We had our wives, uh, Gary and Jennifer Sowell, who were part of that initial team. The Nagarathenums were a part of that early church plant. And then there were a few others who aren't with us anymore. And we did pretty well. We're a campus church at UNF for 11 years, and sometimes we were the only church meeting on campus at UNF in that time. Some of you in the room were, came out, right, when we were still Jacksonville Christian Life, and you're part of the church. The way you got connected with the church was while we were still a student group. Well, in 2006, things changed. So this is about uh, nine years later. We were co-pastoring that campus church together, and then we began to envision a new church that we believe God had put on our hearts to start, a community church reaching out to the next generation. And that church and that dream became a reality in 2008 when we launched Awaken at Twin Lakes Elementary School. And there are some of you as well who are in here and remember and were with us that first year in that elementary school smelling that stale food and all those wonderful memories that we have, right? The reason why I'm sharing these stories with you is in both cases, the way those churches were launched, right, the Campus Church and Awaken, were because Vashi and I collaborated on a dream that we believe God had initiated and planted in our hearts. And then what we did is after being inspired by that dream, we raised up a team, right? We strategically started planning and organizing and, and how that was going to happen. We got people on board and then we launched. And the reason why that's important to note is because this time, as we're looking ahead to Church Plant 2020, we're doing it differently. This time, it's not going to be Vashi or Frank or even your pastors who are going to do all the dreaming, the strategizing, and the implementation. This time, we're going to do it together as a church, all of us. And that brings us to this morning. And that brings us to the series that we're going to be kicking off this morning over the, and going through over the course of the coming months that we've entitled Missing God. And the goal of this series is to train and equip our church on how to listen to God, how to hear from God. That's an interesting idea, isn't it? But it's a necessary one. Because again, as I said, if our dream, if our goal, if our ambition is to, to get a church plant off the ground, to get it launched from our congregation and not, not have the pastors going out, doing all the planning and then telling you guys what we're going to do and you guys saying, that sounds like a great idea, we'll help where we can. Again, that was the pattern the first two times. This time we're doing it differently. This time we're saying we're going to listen together. We're going to seek him together as the body of believers. And if we're going to do that, one essential need is for us to all have a common understanding, a common language, a common way that we understand how to seek God's will, how to hear God's voice, and to trust his leading. It's an interesting idea, this idea of hearing from God and listening to God, because what we teach as a church, and what I hope most of you believe, is that God is always with us. That's what we believe, right? That God's Holy Spirit dwells in us, and that he indwells us permanently. 
and that God is with us always, even to the end of the age, that God will never leave us, God will never abandon us, God will never forsake us. That is what we believe. But if that is the extent of the promise we believe God has given us, then we missed out. Because God does more than say, I will be with you always, and that I will never leave you, abandon you, or forsake you. Not that we're saying that's a small thing at all. That's huge. But God says more than that. God says that I don't just live with you. I speak to you. I give you commands, and I give you insights, and I teach you about myself, and I, I lead you in ways that I want you to respond to in obedience. In the book of John, Jesus shares these words. He says, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. My sheep, he's talking about my people, listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. Don't raise your hands, but I want to ask you an honest question. How many of you can say that is true of me? Not me. Me, right? How many of you can say that's true of me? That I, I can say that I am one of God's sheep. Bah. I hear God. I hear his voice. And I follow him consistently. I don't know if many Christians can say that. I don't want to count how many in, our, in this room do. But I just want to say, I don't know. And that's something that many of us can just respond in the affirmative to. Most of us can probably say, oh, yeah, I remember times when I felt like I, I totally heard what God had to say to me. But otherwise, it just kind of gets messy. And maybe that's a bit understandable, right? Because there's so much other noise in the world. And when there's so much other noise in the world and so many other voices who are yelling, speaking, screaming at us, sometimes it can be difficult to discern God's voice. And yet, Jesus says that not only can his sheep hear his voice, but they respond to it as well. And I hope as Christians, we long for that. And we want to experience that. And that is what this series is going to be all about. And the reason why this is going to be important is not simply, and that's why I start off with this whole church plant 2020 bit, the reason why we're going to go through this, and the reason why this is going to be important is it's going to be more important than just for, for, for my faith, right? I want it to be more than something personal for you. It's like, oh, I want to learn how to hear from God clearly so that my faith can be stronger. No, no, no. I want to say it's more than that. I want you to learn to listen as well because we're going to do this together as a church. We're going to seek God, listen to God, and we're going to put some things in place starting next week as well that will make that practical. That good? You guys excited? All right, let's dive in. So we're going to start with a basic truth. And here's the basic truth. God is the one who initiates the conversation. God is initiating conversations. I'll actually go a step further, and I'll say, let's start here. God is already speaking. In fact, God is always speaking. There can be this misperception among Christians that as we're going, yeah, we want to talk to God, but most of the time, he's silent. We want to hear from God, but most of the time, he's not saying anything to us. And that perception is absolutely wrong. 
God does speak. He is speaking. He speaks continuously. We simply don't always know how to listen. So I know that not everyone in here is a parent, but this is the best analogy I've got. So hopefully you guys can grasp enough of it to follow along with me. So my wife and I, we have four kids. And when they were young, and I mean like really, really young, one of our primary tasks as a parent was to train our children to recognize our voice, right? To recognize the voice of their mom and their dad. And with babies, Again, if you're not a parent, you hopefully you can relate, right? With babies, it's not really that hard because we have them with us all the time. No one else is like claiming, has exclusive claim on our babies. We've got them all the time. We're talking to them all the time. We're whispering to them all the time. We're cooing to them all the time. We're the ones who spend the most time with them. And so it's easy for babies and very young children to learn to recognize our voices because we're the ones that are speaking to them the vast majority of the time. It's everyone else's voice that's unfamiliar. It's everyone else's voice that they have to that uh, they might have to learn. And uh, so that's the distinction, right, for for our kids. And so when we're at home, it was really easy to train our children to recognize our voice. But when we go into a public space, say when we would take them to the mall, now that training becomes all the more important. Because now if you've got little kids who are able to roam around, at home, if they don't necessarily distinguish our voice, I mean, they do, but even if they didn't distinguish our voice, it's fine because we're the only voice giving them commands. But now that we're in a large public space, it could be a mall, it could be any large crowded public space, and now there are hundreds of voices it's all the more important that they distinguish ours, is it not? People are talking all the time. And so here's an interesting skill that we've all trained ourselves in as adults, but we probably don't even realize that we trained ourselves in. When we go to large public spaces where there are a lot of voices, what we have all taught ourselves to do is to tune out unfamiliar voices and to listen instead to voices that are familiar and voices we expect to hear. So like... Um, if you ever go to the mall and sit in the food court, have you guys done where you're sitting there in the food court and you're having a conversation at your table and there's all these other voices and some of those voices are really, really loud, but if I were to ask you, what are they saying? You're like, I have no idea. I haven't been paying attention. Does that make sense? That's what I'm talking about. We have trained ourselves to tune out unfamiliar voices and instead listen to voices that are not only familiar, but we expect to hear. And it's that combination of familiarity and expectation that allows us to pay attention. So another example, again, we were at the Avenues Mall. This is about a year or so ago, maybe more than a year ago, a year and a half ago. And my wife and I and our, our kids were walking along in the mall, and all of a sudden I heard someone saying my name. And so it's like, that is weird. I'm not, and so, so we turn around, and it was Josh and Natalie Pelham, and they were pushing their stroller and their little baby. And some of you guys know who Josh and Natalie Pelham are. We've known them for over a decade, right? We knew them when they were college students, before they were married, and now they're married. They have multiple kids, the whole nine yards. Actually, they're not in Jacksonville anymore, but we, we're good friends with them. But, and then, so they came up to us, and they're like, hey, Frank, just out. gosh, we've been calling your name for like halfway through the mall, and you guys weren't paying, were you ignoring us, or were you just really involved in conversation? And I was like, Neither one. We were just kind of walking, but I did not hear you until just now. And so 
Josh and Natalie's voices were familiar, but we weren't expecting to hear their voices, and so we missed it. Does that make sense? So there's something about familiarity and an expectation that kind of goes together for us to be able to pay attention. That's how we trained our children to listen. Kids, I want you to hear, they're not in here, they're back with the, but we trained our children to not only recognize our voice, but expect to hear it at any time and respond when we speak to you. And that explains why how in a mall, even when our kids were young, with hundreds of different voices talking, that they would hear and understand me. Not because I was the loudest voice. Sometimes I wasn't the loudest voice, but mine was the one they were trained to listen to. Does that help? Do you understand or get a concept of, okay, what does this mean? And so in the same way, if we just took that analogy and we understand, God in the same way is always speaking. But many of us have not trained ourselves to distinguish his voice. And some of us do a really good job of hearing his voice in quiet one-on-one times. But when we start getting out into the world and there's all this other noise, we miss him. We live in a world where there's a lot of other voices, and that makes it challenging. The Bible talks about these other voices and what they sound like and what they say. Satan is one of those voices constantly telling lies to us. In the Gospel of John, Jesus shares, why can't you understand what I'm saying? It's because you can't even hear me. For you are the children of your father, the devil, and you love to do the evil things he does. He was a murderer from the beginning. He has always hated the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So here in the book of John, this is Jesus speaking, and look at what he literally says. He literally says, why can't you understand what I'm saying? It's because you can't even hear me. Jesus is saying, I'm talking to you. I'm telling you some really important stuff, and you're not listening. You're not paying attention because you're listening to the devil instead. And his lies are more attractive to you than my truth. Then there are the voices of evil spirits in 1 John 4. It says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. So whether these evil spirits are speaking on their own or through false prophets, what, uh, what John is saying here is it is your responsibility to discern the right voice and who you're going to listen to. And of course, there are false people in Colossians 2.8. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. And what's Paul's exhortation there? He's like, there are people who sound really, really smart who are going to convince you that what they have to say is more important than what God says, and don't listen to them. They sound really smart. They sound really creative, right? But Paul calls it empty philosophy and high-sounding nonsense. He's like, when you set them side by side with what Jesus says, listen to Jesus first. And then, of course, there are false teachers, 2 Peter 2. But there were false prophets, I'm sorry, but there were also false prophets in Israel, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will cleverly 
teach destructive heresies, and even deny the master who bought them. In this way, they will bring sudden destruction on themselves. Many, not a few, not just a couple, many will follow their evil teaching and shameful immorality. And because of these teachers, the way of truth will be slandered. So you got Satan's voice, you got evil spirits, you got people, and you got false teachers as well. And the distinction between people and false teachers is people are just like people out there who just sound smart or sound clever that we just are attracted to. False teachers have intent. They're trying to deceive you. They're trying to trick you. And it's not a few of us that will fall for it. It will be many, and they will do so to their destruction. And what Peter is saying here is, don't follow them. Don't listen to them. And how are you going to know who they are? Their teaching is evil, and they're immoral. You can't trust them because what they say is bad, and who they are is bad. And then, of course, last but certainly not least, we have our own voices. We have our own deceitful hearts that lie to us. Jeremiah 17, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows who, how bad it is. So, if we're to review, what I'm trying to share with you is this idea that our lives are lived most of the time in a mall-like environment. There are voices all around us. And if we have not been trained to listen for God's voice, to listen to God's voice first, then listening becomes a very confusing exercise. Because then God just becomes one voice out of many other voices. And in that situation, whoever tends to be loudest or whoever we want to listen to ends up being the one that draws our attention. There's Satan's voice, and he lies. There's the voices of evil spirits. They lie. There's the voices of other people, and some of them might be good, but they shouldn't all be trusted. There's the voice of false teachers, and they certainly should not be listened to. And finally, there's the voices of our own hearts. And we know, right? More than anyone, we know our own hearts and how we can deceive ourselves into believing something we want to get what we want, even if we know that's not going to please God. So let's come back to the basic truth we started with. God is the one initiating the conversation. God is always speaking. So there's this really neat story found in the book of 1 Kings about a prophet named Elijah. And in this story uh, found in the book of 1 Kings, the king and queen of Israel, Ahab and Jezebel, they've turned away from God, and they're worshiping other idols. They're worshiping Baal and Asherah, these false gods. And Elijah is the most prominent prophet of God left in the kingdom, which makes him an obvious target for King Ahab and Queen Jezebel. So after Elijah is responsible for the death of hundreds of Queen Jezebel's prophets, she determines to kill him. As a matter of fact, she says, by the end of the day, I want his head. And she puts a bounty on his head, and she not only sends out her soldiers to kill him, but announces to everyone in the kingdom, this is my desire. And if you want to make me happy, Elijah, make him dead. So Elijah runs. He runs all day. He runs all night. And he finally finds himself in this cave. And in that cave, Elijah is so tired. He's so discouraged. He's so exhausted. He's so depressed that he actually asks God 
to take his life. And what does God do instead? God speaks to Elijah. God encourages Elijah. As a matter of fact, God even sends an angel to Elijah to give him food, to give him water, and to give him rest. But it's not enough. Elijah's still discouraged. He still wants his life taken. And so God does something really interesting. God offers one final revelation to Elijah. And I want to read that passage to you, starting in uh, 1 Kings 19, verse 11. Go out and stand before me on the mountain, the Lord told him. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by, and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was the sound of a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And a voice said, what are you doing here, Elijah? That's a really remarkable passage. There's really so many things we could dive into from that passage. But for this morning, I simply want to focus on one idea, one thing, right? God spoke to Elijah in a whisper. When we imagine, like us, right? When we imagine God speaking to us, what we tend to want is the windstorm. We want God to speak to us in a way that's so obvious that we could never miss it. We, when we ask God to speak, we want God to speak to us like the earthquake, earth-shattering and unmistakable. When we ask God to speak to us, when we want God to speak to us, we want the fire. We want to be wowed. We want to be amazed. We want to be something that, that I never even thought of before. I see everything totally differently. But God is not in the windstorm. God is not in the earthquake, and he is not in the fire. God is in the whisper. Why is God in the whisper? Why is God in the whisper and not in the earthquake, not in the windstorm and not in fire? Why is God in the whisper? Why is God, the reason why God is in the whisper is because he is close to you. It's because he is close. We think God needs to be loud in order for us to hear him. But the only reason we need God, or anyone for that matter, to speak loudly is if there's distance between us. The greater the distance, the louder we have to speak. But God is never far away from us. If you're a disciple of Jesus, then he is right here. That is why God whispers. When my wife and I, when we're really close and we're talking closely, our heads are right next to each other, I don't want her to shout. It's inappropriate. Does that make sense? Whispering implies closeness. Whispering implies intimacy. And that is why God's whisper should be all that is necessary. So let's start there next week. But this week, I want to close up. And before I close up, we're going to circle back around to this idea of Church Plant 2020. As I shared earlier, church, we're going to do this together. 
as a church. And this is uncharted territory for us too, right? This is uncharted territory for us in terms of understanding what this is going to look like, how this is going to work. Does that mean every single voice is equal? Does that mean we're going to take a vote? And if the majority says go, we go. And the majority, no, no, no. That's, that's stuff that we still have to figure out. But when I say that, what I want you to understand clearly is that this whole idea, this church plan 2020, it's not going to be a situation where the pastors are going to make all the decisions and you're simply going to follow along. That's what I'm saying is not going to happen. Church plan 2020 is going to begin with God and his Holy Spirit directing and working through us and trusting that God is going to speak to the church and not simply the pastors on how, where, when we're going to go. And so that is why, because we're going to jump into this leap of faith, this is why it's going to be vital that our church is clear on what it looks like to listen for God's voice, because we're going to listen together. What I share with you this morning was simply a vision, right? Church plan 2020, fall of 2020, that's a vision. That, that's like, that's not decided. None of that is set in stone. It's just, but the, even if you accepted that, there's still so many other questions and things that we need to seek God for, isn't there? You know, where in the city are we going to go? Who's going to lead? Who's going to be a part of the team? How is it going to get launched? What's the plan? And is this really going to happen by fall 2020? Or is it going to be able to happen faster or take longer? So much we don't know. So much we still need to seek the Lord for. And so, brothers and sisters, this is going to be a big year for our church. This is going to be a defining year for our church. And this time, again, if our church is going to plant another church, it will not be the result of your pastors doing the heavy lifting and you just following along. It's going to be because God speaks clearly to us as a body and not simply through the few. That's exciting, isn't it? So church, we're going to take this seriously, are we not? We're going to learn how to hear from God. Amen? Amen. All right, let me close out in prayer, and then we'll have Larry wrap up our time. Lord Jesus, thank you so much. How exciting, is going, how exciting it's going to be to have our church learn together how to sit at your feet and how to hear your voice. Actually, maybe more than that, I'd say not just hear your voice, because there's a number of us who can say, yes, God, we, can, we know what's your voice, that we hear it through your word, we see the way that you reveal yourself through creation, we see so many things, but how to distinguish your voice when there's a whole bunch of other voices? Because God, the reality is we live in this huge mega mall environment where there are so many different voices vying for our attention all the time. And so, Lord, I'm excited about this series. I'm excited about our saints being able to run through this together. And I pray for your grace, Lord, for you to speak and lead us in this time and so that we as a church might learn to listen to your voice together and to realize this is not simply for our personal edification, but it's for the sake of the body, that we are learning this not just for our benefit, but to serve the whole. We want to be a part of your work. And God, we know that you're at work, not only in Jacksonville, but in this world at large, this country, in this world at large. And we simply, as a church, want to be a part of that work. We know that we want to do our part. And we pray that your Holy Spirit will lead us into that. And that as a body, we might be united 
in following after you in obedience. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We seek you. And we desire to listen to you, God. And we thank you that it's through your son, Jesus Christ, that this is even possible. And it's in his name we pray.